Hello, everyone. I'm Brandon Marcello. This is the Auburn Undercover Roundtable Podcast. I am joined, as always, by Philip Marshall, Keith Niebuhr, and Ronnie Sanders. Um, Auburn has hired an offensive coordinator. Auburn just had a huge recruiting weekend uh, before the early signing period that begins December 19th. And the basketball team is about to continue a uh, pretty tough stretch run here starting Saturday against UAB. It's when um, they go away from home. And uh, the biggest game in that schedule coming up is NC State. We'll talk a little bit basketball in this podcast as well. But the big news not necess- to me, it's not necessarily that Auburn hired an OC. It's that Gus Malzahn has come out and once for all has said, listen, I'm going to call the plays. This is my show, and uh, they're going to sink or swim with Gus Malzahn calling the plays. And it's going to start in the Music City Bowl. We, we're kind of expecting this, Philip, but what are your initial thoughts? One on this hire of Kenny Dillingham, a 28-year-old offensive coordinator from Memphis, and also, more importantly, Gus Malzahn's decision to call the plays. Well, I, I certainly agree that the really the biggest story in, in that announcement was Gus Malzahn stepping out there and saying he's calling the plays and, and taking it all on himself, which I think was a good thing to do and the right thing to do. Uh, it obviously hasn't worked the way it's been ha- happening. Uh, happening the last well, this past year. And, you know, since 2016, really, he's been all over the place. He was calling it, then he wasn't, then he was. And uh, I think it's it's probably unfortunate that he succumbed to some pressure to stop calling him in the first place because that's always been who he is. And uh, so we'll see what happens. I, you know, everything I can see from the from uh, Kenny Dillingham, he seems to be a very impressive young coach. I don't know how much of an actual offensive coordinator he's going to be. I think he's going to be more of a quarterback's coach than an offensive coordinator, but it's not unlike it was with Brett Lashley when when uh, Gus first came. So uh, it'll be very interesting to see. Starting in the bowl game, I, I'm not sure that's a totally fair sample size because he really can't you know, there's, they, they, there's, they don't have time to do anything other than what they've been doing scheme-wise. So. Yeah, there's really not much they can change obviously uh, in these really next two weeks. I mean, Auburn, as we record this, hasn't even started practicing yet. They're supposed to start practicing Thursday, where if they were to fit in the, uh, uh, the uh, not required, but the allotment of practices, which is 15 before a bowl game, they would literally have to practice every day before the bowl game <laughs> if, when the, if they start practicing Thursday. Um, I, I doubt they do that, but um, obviously I think Gus Malzahn – has a handle on what's going on with his own offense, but I wonder how much does he build toward the future in this game, or does he just treat this game as this is just another game from this previous season, it's an extension of this season, and the players who have been playing, whether it's Jarek Stidham at quarterback, et cetera, let's get them a win and going into the next year and start rebuilding at certain spots, or does he try some new things with some players that he's going to have to lean on a little bit next season um, I'd be interested just to hear what Gus Malzahn's feelings are on that. My my guess is, guys, is that he's going to just treat this as a game that's an extension of the season and ride with the guys that you know that have been at quarterback and running back and along the defensive line, along the offensive line, um, and 
try to win one more game as they send out these seniors. But what do you guys think? Do you think he tries anything new? Do you think he tries to mix things up with personnel, just trying to build toward the future? I don't think so. I, I think obviously you would hope to get the game in a place where, where you could do that. But uh, I think that'll, they'll do more of that during practice. Uh, even on game week, you can have the young guys, uh, you know, practicing at a, at a different, uh, more contact and whatnot than, uh, than the guys that are going to play in the game. But, uh, I think he, one, he needs to win a game, uh, and, and just to kind of keep things calm. And two, two, I just, I think he would think, and I would agree that it's really unfair to the guys who, who have put in four years of sweat and blood to get to their last game and then, and then, uh, use it as anything other than, than trying to win as best you can. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't see how you take that away from them, uh, no matter how this season went. I just don't see it. Um, Ronnie, with everything that's been going on with the offensive coordinator search at Auburn and then elsewhere, what did you make of Auburn's search for an offensive coordinator? We reported that Bobby Bentley, the South Carolina running backs coach, turned Auburn down. Hugh Freeze obviously was up there as a leading candidate. Uh, but took the Liberty head coaching gig. And the new OC only has a two-year contract, which usually coordinators at Auburn, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Philip, and correct me if I'm wrong, they usually get three-year deals. But, Ronnie, what do do you make of all this, and what was the murmurs going on in the uh, coaching industry? Well, I think it's pretty clear, you know, he tried a couple of different other routes and didn't work out, so he he went with a young guy that I think he feels like he can groom and and uh, he can go back to calling the plays and get back in his comfort zone. You know, will it work? Uh, you know, well, I guess we'll find out. But um, you know, it, <laughs> uh, clearly he had some trouble filling the spot because he's he's known as being on the offensive side of the ball being very difficult to work with uh, because he he he's in it one minute and out the next, and um, so it looks like he's all in on this one. And I'll tell you what, hiring a 28-year-old, and I don't care what he's making, but getting a promotion to the SEC program, whether it's quarterback's coach or any position coach, and you have the OC title, I'm sure the kid's going to jump at it. I mean, he he hasn't called plays based on at least what I could see since 2013. It was at a high school, and it was his only year calling plays. And I don't know if that OC title was necessarily just by design either, where it was just a title and he wasn't actually calling plays in. But um, I've tried to go back in his past and reach out to people, and he doesn't really have a lot of connections in the industry other than his old high school coach, who's now coaching at Cal as a special teams coach, and uh, Mike Norvell. So, I mean, he's a name that I obviously hadn't heard of. I mean, had had you heard of him, Ronnie? Uh, no, no, I had, I had not heard of him. I mean – I had heard of him, but I, he is—he was not a name that I had heard associated with the job. So it kind of came out of the blue as far as as far as uh, that goes. But I mean, I've heard really good things about him. I heard he's a sharp guy and a pretty good coach. So, but uh, you know, the question is going to be: Will he be allowed to coach? Will he actually be allowed to coach the quarterbacks the way he wants to coach them? And he certainly won't be able to be allowed to call plays. So um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how it develops. Yeah, you know what? Go ahead. Mike Norwell was uh, obviously was Gus's GA at uh, at Tulsa, so uh, I, I feel feel sure that that he was able to give this this uh, 
Dillingham some uh, some input on what it, what it'll probably be like. I, I just uh, um, and I guess the offensive coordinator title is something he wanted. I would imagine, which I wouldn't blame him. And uh, it'll it'll be interesting to see. I, 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 it, it, how much input he lets him have. I'm sure he won't have much input at all in this game, uh, but uh, but as Ronnie said, and how he coaches the quarterbacks, and uh, and how much input can will he have with, with with Gus and saying, hey, I think we ought to look at doing this or that or the other. I mean, Gus, even before he ever called any plays, Red had that. I mean, Gus respected him and listened to him, but Red had been had played for Gus and run Gus's offense and all that for years, and uh, th- this this guy's a little different situation, so. I don't think anybody can know what it's going to be like till we see. Yeah, I agree with that. People keep asking, like, grade this higher, what's this like? And I don't think there's any way to know until he actually starts his first season and coaches through an entire season uh, alongside Gus Malzahn. Because as you guys said, he's not going to call the plays. At most, it looks like he'll be the quarterback's coach coaching those guys unless Gus starts tinkering with that a little bit, which he has. He deals a lot with the quarterbacks. But also, I'd wonder what what his role is like in that room, in the offensive meeting room. Is he running some meetings? Is he just running meetings with quarterbacks? I'd be interested to see how that evolves going into next season. On the recruiting front with with this new hire in Kenny Dillingham, uh, Keith, what have you heard about Kenny Dillingham as a recruiter? Obviously, he's a younger guy, can connect with a lot of these players. That's kind of the cliche. But what kind of recruiter is he, and what kind of feedback are you hearing about him from the industry? folks and also from recruits out there well i was hoping you wouldn't ask me because not much there's not a lot out there and that, that's not necessarily a terrible thing he's a young guy now what we've heard has been pretty positive when he was a, a young guy on the staff at arizona state people there really liked him uh thought he was a sharp guy up and comer uh, in fact i posted this on our message board the other day a friend of mine who works at a pac-12 school said look uh keith once uh, kenny got hired I said keith i'm telling you this guy is going to be the head coach at Arizona State someday. Like he's he's a climber. He is moving up. So he's got some chops. He's impressed a lot of people. But you know, recruits don't really know the name. Uh, they don't know much about him. He doesn't have a long track record. Uh, when he's been a coach, he's been successful though. So it's really kind of hard to. I, I don't know what to say. I mean, I I hope you guys understand. I hope that everybody listening understands. There's just not much out there. He's 28, 29 years old. Uh, but everything he's done so far, everything he's touched seems to have been pretty good. Okay, so that's something Auburn could sell. Obviously, uh, they can sell the fact that he's young and he's going to be able to relate to them, like you said, Brandon. Uh, now, as a recruiter at Memphis, he did not sign a four-star recruit. Okay, but Memphis doesn't sign four-star recruits to begin with. So it's hard to really judge. It's hard to know. Now, uh, Bo Nix, Auburn's quarterback committee, he's locked into Auburn. No, no matter who they hired, he was locked in. Uh, we're going to meet Bo later this week at the Alabama-Mississippi All-Star Game where they have practices starting up, and we'll get to see what he thinks. He was supposed to meet with Kenny today, uh, don't know what time, but we will get a good vibe. Hey, what does Bo Nix, what does the quarterback of the future think of this guy? Uh, but most people that have come into contact with him like him. Uh, again, the question is, you know, what are recruits going to know about him? But again, you know, he's an offensive coordinator by title. He's really the QB coach, so he's going to be recruiting as a primary recruiter a small sample of guys, right? Five to seven guys a year he's going to be locked in on, if that, at the quarterback position, probably fewer than that. So it's not like he's going to be a guy that has to be recruiting 100 guys. Uh, until he uh, get people get to know him a little bit better, he'll be used primarily to recruit quarterbacks and as a secondary recruiter on some other positions. Um, you know, 
But everybody says he's a bright guy. You know, we made some calls. I know you guys have too. Uh, people think he's got some, uh, you know, he's a young, I don't want to say coaching prodigy, but again, this guy's really moved up fast and, and you don't move up that fast if you don't have uh, something to you. Okay. And I think, uh, I think that's going to be a big selling point for Auburn on the recruiting trip, but we'll see. We don't know how they're going to react yet. Recruits to him. It's too soon to know. Keith, I heard he, he, I heard he got right to work Monday. He was in the athletics complex building Monday and then hit the road recruiting. I believe he's on the road recruiting till Thursday. Is that right? Well, I, I don't have all the specifics. It's like Fort Knox getting info right now at Auburn, <laughs> to be honest. And, and I understand that. Look, you, you know, guys, and you know, I'm the one that's, I'm the nerd that's got to follow the, rec- the recruiting, but this is the last week for in-home visits for your head coach before the early signing period starts on the 19th. So a lot of visits this week are strategically placed, right? It's the last time you're going to get face-to-face. So schools really don't want those visits getting out ahead of time because if uh, if Florida State finds out Auburn's going to see Will Putnam, then they may change their schedule. So it is hard to get info, but that, that does make sense. Bo Nix was on the schedule today, like I said. I know Auburn's supposed to see Javaris Johnson today. They're supposed to see a couple of running backs. I wouldn't be surprised if he's involved with those trips. Those trips, uh, one to Jamias Griffin in Rome, Georgia, one to DJ Williams, a running back in Florida. Again, we, you know, schools can't give you a list uh, of where they're going, uh, you know, and they probably wouldn't even if they could. <laughs> so, uh, you know, Phillips been doing this a long time. And Brandon, you have too. And Ronnie, you got you all as what you as well. You know, how secretive guys can be. But uh, yeah, he's going to be on the road all week. There'll be a four week dead period. He'll be on campus this week to meet with recruits, I'm sure. But after that four-week dead period, once they really dig into it, and by the way, if Auburn's class is, is pretty much uh, put together a good portion of it by next week, then Kenny can start getting ahead on, on 2020 recruits. So he and Gus can kind of formulate a plan over the next few weeks. Okay, Gus, who are the 2020 quarterbacks we at Auburn are going to have to go after? And obviously, signing Bo Nix in this cycle – sort of complicates that for the next cycle because as you build one guy up to be a, uh, the next stud quarterback, then it becomes a challenge to bring a guy in the next cycle after. Who, who, you know, These kids are out there thinking, all right, Bo may be the starter for the next four years here. What's my role going to be? So it's going to be a challenge, but the key right now really is to get him introduced to these young guys, get, get him to get to know them a little bit, uh, and then also really start targeting that 2020 quarterback or quarterbacks who Auburn's going to go after uh, and that number is going to be fluid. What happens after spring practice to the guys that don't win the job? But he and Gus need to get on the same page and have a plan of attack because it seems early, but for quarterback recruiting, it's not. It's not. January and February will be key months. Remember, a year ago at this time, Auburn was already on its way to landing Bo Nix, who committed in January. Well, right now, who's Auburn's 2020 quarterback? Well, with Chip Lindsey, it might have been a guy named Robbie Ashford out of Hoover who wants to play baseball, too. But perhaps... Kenny and Gus have a different plan of attack. We'll have to see. We'll get back to recruiting here later in the podcast, but I wanted to shift gears a little bit, guys. Uh, uh, Athletics Director Alan Green uh, released a letter to to the fan base uh, on Monday morning, uh, you know, less than 12 hours after Auburn hired an offensive coordinator. Of course, a lot of people know about our reporting on the Gus Malzahn situation over the last couple of weeks. Um, the letter didn't deal mostly with football, but it focused on it quite a bit as far as uh, uh, the fan reaction to what's been happening. And a portion of that letter 
I'll read it right now, and I just wanted to get you guys' response, starting with Philip. But part of that letter reads, uh, unfortunately, maximum effort does not equal always equal maximum results. Still, outcomes matter, and at Auburn, we expect to deliver. Since the conclusion of the regular season, there has been speculation about the future of Auburn football. Despite my previous public comments, as well as statements from President Leith. Unfortunately, those rumors and speculation have not served the Auburn family well, uh, unquote. His comments, of course, are in reference to when he said in November that uh, Gus Malzahn will be the coach of 2019, and Stephen Leith, who, by the way, didn't make any statements. He had to be cornered by me at a meeting and asked about it. He didn't public, like you know, voluntarily offer support. But, Philip, what did you make of that comment? I thought it was more or less a shot across the bow of uh, boosters and then also maybe the media a little bit, but maybe that's just me. Uh, no, I agree with you. And, uh, and I hate to try to, to try, you know, I can't know exactly what his, what his uh, intent was in saying that. Uh, you know, I, all I know is what we reported, and uh, – and we didn't report any rumors or or speculation. Uh, I, I thought it was kind of careful. Otherwise, you know, it, my my question would be, my question would be, if that's the case, then why not why not stand up to Sunday after the Alabama game and say, hey, just like we said, Gus Malzahn's our coach, and that's the way it's going to be going forward. We're not going to talk about it anymore. That's all they had to do. And instead, they waited until after. After everybody had been hired, after the offensive coordinator had been hired, et cetera, to make that to, to for him to send that out, and that's fine. But uh, but that, that just doesn't doesn't quite make sense to me that you would you would wait two weeks to do that if you're in fact that concerned about it being a bad for the Auburn family uh, over the past two weeks when when you could have ended it any time you chose. Yeah, timing is everything on this and also let's be and I wanted to give Philip a chance to explain his reporting, which we all stand behind. I mean Philip's been doing this longer than all of us. He has great sources. It isn't like he's just gonna put something out there that's just rumor. He's gonna report what's actually happening. And so we stand by his reporting. But uh at no point in Alan Green's letter does he uh refute that reporting either. Or just come out and say, hey, what you heard was not true. All he says is that there's rumors and speculation out there. And also, we're building, we're evolving as a football program moving forward, is what he said with Gus Malzahn. Um, obviously, uh, no no denial there of what, uh, what we reported behind the scenes. Not that I saw. And, uh, and that's fine. I, you know, it's, uh, uh, he's in a difficult position. And uh, lots of people are in a difficult position, and it's it's okay. It's uh, like I said to me, the biggest question I would have was, well, if, if this was if this was all all about innuendo and speculation and uh, and rumors, why did you let it sit there for two weeks before you said anything? Yeah, and as I said, timing's everything, and the first statement of any sort while this was all going on by the way during our reporting was Friday night on Twitter of all places from Stephen Leith uh, replying to a fan saying that he supports Gus Malzahn moving forward kind of a blanket generic statement 
And Alan Green retweeted it with "Indeed," <laughs> which was uh, just interesting. I didn't say but, that. Yeah, Friday night he just said, "You know, we stand behind. We're doing this." And then, and he just retweeted it with "Indeed." Um, and then, of course, his letter came Monday. So, uh, interesting times at Auburn. It's always interesting times. But uh, I wanted to cover that and also just kind of get your thoughts on Alan Green's letter from everybody because. I mean, it's a pretty, you know, I, I call it like a form letter. I mean, he just kind of recaps what's going on with everything in athletics and how, here's how my 11 months have gone. But nowhere in there does he really talk about specific things about the future and, you know, facilities or a football complex or anything like that. And uh, I think some folks were really wanting to hear about that. But I don't, I don't know if we're going to be hearing that about that anytime soon, don't you, Philip? I don't, and I think that's a huge mistake. And I've I've written that and said that, and I I just don't think a football complex, uh, the need for it, or the need for stadium enhancements, or or whatever is needed to make Auburn have an even playing field with the people it has to compete with. I don't think that should have anything to do with who the coach is. Uh, that's that's not for a coach. That's for the program going forward. Whether that's Gus Malzahn for ten years or Gus Malzahn for one year. Uh, shouldn't have anything to do with it but uh i you know at the same time when you're if you're dependent on donors and whatnot well, you know they can use whatever criteria they choose of whether to give their money and it's their money and uh but i, I just think you have to be prepared to do this and get as much if you can raise a lot of donor support that's great but you have to be prepared to do it either way if you're going to if you're going to say that you're going to be that you want to compete on the same level with Alabama and Georgia and Texas A&M and all the other schools in the SEC that are just really putting the hammer down and moving forward uh, uh, with their programs, so especially the 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 big six, as it's been called, plus Texas A&M. They're all doing it, and if you don't keep up, you're going to get left behind. And I'll say this, I mean – if Auburn was potentially willing to spend $32 million on a buyout, they can put $30 million down on starting a uh, right. football complex. Don't you think? Right. Absolutely. On. And as you said, it's more about the future than it is about who the coach is. Cause that football facility is going to be here after the coach. So uh, Ronnie, when it comes to facilities, I mean, it, that was a big topic at, Florida and Georgia, Texas A&M most recently, just with their huge upgrades. Uh, if you're not thinking ahead and building things and moving dirt, you are falling behind every single day in the SEC. What what could happen to Auburn if they don't start making some moves with facilities, as, as Philip just mentioned? Everybody else in the SEC is just spending money left and right. And those schools I just mentioned, Georgia and Florida, they finally started moving dirt. And look at look at Georgia right now. And look at what Florida is doing just under the first year under Dan Mullen and going forward. Auburn has really been – it's been Auburn and Alabama, LSU a little bit, and then Georgia in the SEC these last five, six years. But now you're starting to see everybody else starting to catch back up. And it's partially because, one, they've made good hires. But, two, facilities have a lot to do that do with that don't you think yeah absolutely um you know there's no question and auburn you know uh had a track record of doing that for a while so certainly when pat Dye was the athletic director auburn was on the cutting edge and now um 
you know, not so much. When Terry Bowden was the head coach, um, Auburn decided that they didn't want Terry Bowden to be the head coach anymore, so they'd make his life as miserable as possible, uh, not give him much of what he wanted. And it looks like they're doing the same thing with Gus Malzahn. Uh, if you don't want someone there, then you probably need to figure out a way not for him not to be there. You probably need to fire him. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, I mean, facilities upgrades are, are really key at Auburn. The, the stadium needs work. Uh, they need a football-only facility. Um, you know, there, there's been a lot of construction on the football facility. It's kind of a uh, – not there's anything wrong with it. It's just not at par with the rest of the with, – with who you have to compete with. If you look, in, you look at what A&M has, you look at what Alabama's done, uh, you look at LSU, um, you know, you're, you're just not there. And that's only in the West. Um, you know, when you, start, when you start looking at the East, it – you know, you're, you're pretty far down the list. Keith, I, I wanted to, your feedback on this. How much do facilities have an impact on recruiting? Yeah. You and, know, and, what do you hear, and what do you hear about Auburn from recruits when you talk to them? Well, you know, somebody asked me this on the message board the other day, and I, I thought about it, and I don't hear about it as much as I did a few years ago, believe it or not. Now, there's two ways of looking at it. One, I never hear any recruits say Auburn's facilities are subpar. So that's good. Because I don't bring it up, really. I, I let them kind of talk. What do you like about a school? What do you don't like about it? And I never hear them say anything bad about Auburn's facilities. The flip side of that is when I say, what do you really like? They never talk about the facilities. They're just not talking about it at all. Uh, so I don't know really what to make of that. There are certain schools that have just unbelievable facilities. Um, you know, Tennessee comes to mind. Brandon, you've uh, been out at Arkansas. I've heard, heard great things about theirs. Texas A&M's are on the rise. Georgia's are on the moves. And uh, yeah, I got Alabama sitting there, but I don't hear as much chatter about it anymore. Uh, but a couple of years ago when the dorms were new and the wellness kitchen was new, you heard people talk about it all the time. Well, guess what? They're not new anymore. You know, they're not, they're not new anymore. It's, it's kind of like, you know, when I was in school and college, it's, there was always something construction going on and I couldn't understand why, why couldn't there just never be any construction? But if you weren't building, you were falling behind, right? If you weren't building new libraries and things like that. And it's the same thing with the, with the athletics, but honestly, there's just not as many people talking about it, uh, lately. Um, and, may, and maybe, maybe I'm not doing a good enough job asking them about it, but I, I kind of feel like you know, as a recruiting writer, it, by asking, I'm almost planting the seed in the head. So our, what do you think Auburn's facilities, uh, we just don't ask that much anymore. I don't know why. I don't really know what to, you're stumping me today a lot, Brandon. I feel like the dummy of the group here, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, again, I, I do think it matters. I think it matters for the program, for, for the coaches though, too. I mean, yeah, everybody involved, it's a pride thing, but also look if this football only facility, you know, it's a weird facility, academic or ac athletic facility at Auburn. You, you just have people coming and going. And, and, uh, I, I know the football coaches would love to be able to just kind of put themselves in a bunker and stay away from them all the, all that stuff. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I, I, I gotta tell you the last couple of cycles, I haven't heard recruits say as much about the bells and whistles, but again, just building up the stadium, isn't just for them, uh, fans, you know, every, everybody, everybody that, that loves that program and supports that program wants a, a more upgraded stadium and more upgraded facilities, but recruiting wise, I don't know. I, I'm not hearing as much as I did a few years ago. Well, you look around campus, there's a lot of construction going on oh, yeah. just in the academic world. I mean, there are some huge buildings going up. And then even outside of that, not related. So it's related to Auburn, but Auburn's not spending the money. A lot of student uh, housings being built uh, around campus. We're talking like multi-level, multi-story buildings. I mean, downtown looks a lot different now than it did just two years ago. Yeah. Um, I mean, the campus is growing. They're building new buildings also on campus. And 
Meanwhile, athletics, as you said, after the wellness kitchen and the new dormitory opened back in, I believe, the spring of 2013 or so, it's just been kind of quiet and stagnant. And you wonder what's going to be next for football and what's going to help. And the next step is a football complex. And it certainly sounds like that is stalled at the moment. Well, well, Brandon, like I said, I haven't heard anybody complaining about it, any recruits. But they're also not talking about how great it is either. And so maybe in that sense, it's hurting you, if that makes any sense. They're not complaining. But they're also not pumping it up either, not touting it. You know, Keith, this past weekend, big recruiting yeah. weekend for Auburn. Give us a recap of what happened, how Auburn feels about some of these kids. A lot of them are already committed, of course, some not. But what would your overall take from this past weekend and also moving forward, what Auburn's going to do yeah, over the next I, week? I think there was a pretty good vibe at Auburn. I mean, I got to tell you, on Friday, there was a big concern when when we were able to report that George Pickens, the stud receiver, the four-star receiver, top 50 national recruit, when he didn't show up Friday, uh, you know, you're thinking, okay, is he not coming now? It, what's, what's the deal? This isn't good. LSU has really been pushing. There's been rumors out there that he may decommit, that he could flip. And when he didn't show up Friday, he didn't know what was going on. And again, our sources aren't talking a lot right now. There's so much going on within the program. The people that have information are kind of tight-lipped about everything. And that, that filters down to recruiting, too. So it wasn't until later Friday that we learned that, okay, he's probably taking the ACT Saturday morning and will be there Saturday. So it's an abbreviated official visit for your star, one of your three or four marquee recruits. But we're told that during that day, day and a half that he was at Auburn, things did go well. He got a lot of time with the quarterback commit, Bo Nix, who uh, you know, won the state championship Friday night, uh, has won two state titles in a row, very popular young guy. And Bo Nix was in George Pickens' ear a lot. And Auburn came out of that weekend feeling pretty good about keeping George Pickens. Now, will he sign during the early signing period? He doesn't have to. He's not an early enrollee. If you're Auburn, boy, you'd like to get him locked up and, and get him to sign next week, but it wouldn't be a surprise if, if he held on. Uh, really, the other big news, quite frankly, to me, a couple things, running back Mark Anthony Richards, Auburn appears to be really putting itself in a good position with him. He's out of West Palm Beach, Florida. His brother, you guys know the name, Amon Richards, the great receiver at Miami before sustaining a career-ending injury earlier this year. Uh, Auburn, Penn State, probably the top teams. I mean, Miami's still hanging around, but he loves Penn State and he loves Auburn. Um, got family in Macon. I think that'll help. Auburn feels like it's in a strong position for him. But again, he's not an early enrollee and isn't planning on signing next week. So that means Auburn's got to keep fighting him through January. That's tough. That's hard to do. Uh, and then finally, Charles Moore is a four-star defensive end committed to Mississippi State. Lives in a town called Louisville. It's spelt Louisville, and I'm the I'm the dummy that's made the mistake of rolling into town. I've been there, sev- it, yeah. yeah. I've been there several yeah. times. Yeah. Make sure you pronounce it correctly. It's yeah. also the yeah. mecca. Used to be the mecca of SEC basketball. A lot of lot of yeah. uh, the Kentucky right. coach uh, for women's basketball is there. Uh, Chuck Dunlap, who works for the SEC, uh, grew up there. It's very very strange. Very small town, but a lot of people who work in the SEC are from there. Well. Yeah, and they got a big a big player from there. It's you know thirty miles or whatever from Starkville. Charles Moore's committed to Mississippi State and has been for over a year. During that time, he tore his ACL. Mississippi State stood by him, came back to have a great senior year. But Auburn's pushing. There are some people in his family we've been told that wouldn't mind seeing him leave the area for college. Now Mississippi State continues to feel like there's no way they're losing that guy. Auburn though thinks it has a real shot. Sent three coaches to see him Monday morning. Uh, he is not an early enrollee again, another guy, and doesn't plan to sign in December. Now, Mississippi State's going to push like crazy to get him to sign next week. But that's another one that could go into the, into January, February. Auburn thinks it has a shot. His very best friend is a kid named Jaron Handy, 
who is a top 100 recruit committed to Auburn right now. And he was on that visit too. Uh, the weather was kind of nasty. Those guys just sat in their hotel room and played video games all weekend is what they tell me. Uh, kind of a funny way to enjoy your, your, uh, your uh, official visit. But every kid's different, and they both feel at home there. They want to play together. We'll see. Uh, you know, tricky, tricky, tricky. Trying to get a kid out of Mississippi, let alone a kid 30 miles from Starkville. But those are really kind of the big developments. Another one, Javaris Johnson, four-star Auburn receiver commit. And you know, like this, uh, he had 1,700 receiving yards as a senior. I mean, unbelievable. Four or five, 200-yard receiving games he's the guy that would play ryan davis's position five eight five nine super fast super quick he was going to wait until december or february to sign he now says hey i'm signing next week that's big for auburn because what you don't want that is, is huge suppose, yeah suppose you lose your bowl game and you look bad let's say and that kid starts having some real second thoughts and somebody comes in says let's offer this kid let's poach him so that's why you want all these guys signed early especially at auburn right now because god Gosh only knows what's going to happen during this bowl game and over the next few weeks. It always seems like there's some drama hanging around Auburn. Uh, you know, they could use some good news, and, and that certainly was welcome. I'll say this. I think Charles Moore comes to Auburn. I'm just going to say it right now. Um, you got some You got some intel there? No, I don't. I just get the feeling. Oh. I got the <laughs> okay. feeling, man. I got the feeling. Um, we'll, have to, we'll have to talk off, offline <laughs> afterwards. I need, I need some intel, buddy. I just get that feeling. Hey, Keith, um, what yeah. about offensive line recruiting? You mentioned running backs. Yeah. What's going on with the offensive line? Because I obviously Auburn struggled a little bit there this year. Can they get some immediate help? And what what are they looking at right now down the stretch? Well, you know, immediate help's tricky because I, I kind of agree with Philip on this one. And, and Brandon, I haven't asked you. That's why I, I don't know where you stand on this. But Auburn's offensive line certainly played better at the end of the last season. And most of these guys are probably going to be back. Now, I, I think they're still waiting on Prince Tega Wanago. What is he going to do? That'll determine some things. But, you know, they've got – we think a lot of those starters back, uh, some young quality, well, they think, quality backups, Austin Troxel being one, Bradarius Ham being another. Uh, the offensive line certainly was not where it needed to be this year. Uh, but again, better late in the season. So again, I don't know how much immediate help Auburn needs, okay? And obviously with high school guys, those guys usually need a little bit of time to develop. But Will Putnam is a guy who potentially could play early. He's down to Clemson, FSU, and Auburn. We think it's probably going to be F excuse me, Clemson or Auburn, uh, son of a, a high-ranking military guy down at MacDill Air Force Base in Tampa. They tell me he may end up being a general sometime pretty soon, which wow. is incredible. Well, yeah, exactly. Uh, a Midwestern, Midwestern roots, a different kind of kid. Nobody knows where he's going to go. Between Thursday and Sunday of this week, Will Putnam, top 100 national recruit, is going to announce his decision. He will sign early. Auburn very much in it. Uh, Gus Malzahn did his in-home visit last week. So did Dabo Sweeney. Uh, you know, Clemson's got a little momentum and they're winning big and that helps. And obviously Auburn and Clemson have a lot of similarities, small towns, similar universities, same vibe. A lot of that's, you know, they, they pitch the family feel. So what could be the tiebreaker coaching stability? Maybe uh, the fact Clemson has been winning a little more. So Auburn's got to overcome that. Uh, but that's a guy that probably could be in the two deep as a true freshman. Uh, other than that, you know, uh, a kid named Bam, they call him Bam. He's from London, uh, London, England. Hasn't been playing football very long. 6'8", 323 from Garden City Community College. He visited this past weekend. I think that went fairly well. And that, where does he sit on the Auburn board? You know, we don't know at this time. Uh, that's an offensive tackle. That's what people want to know. Uh, people seem to think, the fans, what's the recruiting like at tackle? Justin Osborne, uh, an Auburn commit at tackle from Texas. Big senior season. He's going to sign next week. Uh, former TCU committee. He's only 6'4", so people think 
Uh, some fans think, okay, he's going to play guard, but he's got really long reach. Uh, and when you look at the all-pro teams in the NFL these days, you will see six, four tackles that are all pro. I mean, if the guy's got the reach and the footwork and all that, they can play that position. So I, I wouldn't bet against this kid. Uh, but Auburn certainly would like to add Will Putnam, certainly would like to add one or two more guys between now and National Signing Day. I do think, guys, and I think you're probably hearing the same thing, Auburn has been watching that transfer database closely. I, I think I think offensive line is where you're going to see maybe them grab a guy. Uh, and they don't have to play early. It doesn't have to be a grad transfer. It could be a regular transfer. Again, they've got a lot of guys coming back. Maybe you find a good guy in that pool. You bring him in. He, he sits out the year and plays the next year. Then you have him ready to go the next year. But I, to me, that's the position where you're really going to see Auburn try to do something. Keith, what about Khalil Tate? What's yeah, going Arizona, on? Yeah, Arizona quarterback. Still don't know for sure, unless I missed something in the last couple of hours, whether he's definitely transferring. But I've reported it. You've reported it. Phillips reported it. We all have independent sources. If he's transferring from Arizona like we think he will, he doesn't seem to, the reports are anyway, doesn't seem like he meshes that great with uh, the offensive coordinator there. Uh, one of them is going to go. And if it's Khalil Tate, a true dual threat quarterback, it, it, we have a pretty good authority and actually <laughs> really good authority here that Auburn would probably try to make a move there. And, and who could blame him? That'd be a great bridge for 2019 to get you through that season to the Bo Nix era afterwards. And, 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 you know, we don't want to sell Malik Willis short and Joey Gatewood and Cord Simber, but Khalil Tate has that experience. He's played in a lot of games. I wouldn't say big games because Arizona hasn't been that great, but, but they've played good teams. You know what I mean? He's played quality competition. He's from Southern California. Uh, we'll see a lot of people think he'd be a good fit for that Nick Marshall type thing that we saw a few years ago so we'll see but if he announces he's going to transfer I, I don't see any reason at this time where why where Auburn wouldn't get involved uh, you know they went after Kelly Bryant and quite frankly I think all of us agree that this guy's more talented and yes. probably even a bet probably even a better fit he's so a I, much, I he's has, much better yeah. fit and I know Philip has some opinions on that too no question uh he uh that guy was a high considered a serious Heisman trophy candidate going into uh this season, and I, I, I love Noel Mazzoni, who was the offensive coordinator at Auburn, of course, in the early in the Tuberville years. But uh, what the heck do you go out there and start trying to change a guy like that for? I'm not sure. But, uh, uh, yeah, I think he's the closest thing you'd find to Nick Marshall, except probably a little better passer. You know, with Khalil Tate, you know, as you said, they tried to make him more of a pocket passer this year, and then he injured his ankle, which even hindered him a little bit more. I think his top rushing game was something like 43 yards on like 11 carries. But this was a guy the year before was running all over the place, throwing yeah. the ball all over the place. And people thought, wow, Kevin Sumlin's coming in with him. This guy's a Heisman contender, but just didn't work out. They tried to make him into more of a pocket passer, and then he hurt his ankle. And like those two things combined. And as you said, apparently his relationship's not going so well with Noel. And um, it's interesting that the kid hasn't said anything since the end of the season, someone asked if he's going to be there next season. He said, no, no next question. I think is what he said. And it's been silent ever since. I wonder if he's sitting there to see which quarterbacks declare for the NFL draft. And then he's going to make his decision. I don't think he's a guy who's going to get picked up the NFL draft high, but I think for his own purposes, I think based on what I've on what I've read, not what I've heard, he's sitting there seeing how that, that goes. And then he's probably gonna make a decision about his own future, whether to grad transfer, stay at Arizona, or maybe even go to the NFL. Well, you know, I, if I, if I could point, oh, go ahead, Philip. Part of it is he doesn't graduate until until May, 
as I understand it. So, you know, he really there's not it's not like he can do it now. I mean, he could he can say whatever he wants to say he's going to do, but but he can't be a grad transfer obviously until he is a grad until he's a graduate. So yeah. And, and and it would be one of those situations like Nick Marshall, him coming in the summer, if, if Auburn could get him, you know, who knows, may not even have a shot. We don't know, uh, but come in the summer. Uh, but at least it's an offense he'd be familiar with. He's been playing at a high level of competition. I know, like the Pac-12 isn't the SEC, but it's, it is a high level. Uh, one other thing, you know, with Kelly Bryant, he was looking for a place that could further develop him as an NFL passer. I don't think Kelly Bryant wanted to go somewhere and really run a lot, guys. Uh, I'll be honest with you. But I think Khalil Tate knows he's better when he's running, and I think that's the difference. Another difference between those two guys. I agree, and and, and unlike Nick, Nick Marshall, I mean Khalil Tate has played has played has been the starting quarterback for two seasons or most of two seasons in in a Power Five conference. I mean Nick had not played quarterback had played one one year at Georgia as a defensive back and had had played uh, quarterback in junior college the year before he came to Auburn. So. You, you would think that a guy like Khalil Tate would be a little bit better equipped than Nick was, and obviously that turned out pretty well. But, uh, but yeah, I, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with him because you, uh, you know, you got spring practice going on, and I, I guess if I was Khalil Tate or somebody like him, I, I, I might be a little bit uh, cautious about, you know. Am, am I going to come in? Am I going to? Am I going? Are they going to put the freshman ahead of me? Are they going to put the freshman ahead of me the first time I have a bad game, like happened to Clemson? I'd be a little concerned about that if it was me. It's going to be interesting to watch. Uh, definitely, he would be a hot commodity if he, he says he's going to transfer somewhere because uh, there's going to be going to be a lot of teams after him. I think Auburn's going to swarm all over him, though. The I don't moment. have any doubt. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> They will swarm all over him. I wanted to talk basketball here uh, really quick. Uh, Philip, this this basketball team is so fun to watch this season in person. Uh, I, I want to read off some stats right now. This is incredible. And they're, they're analytics, so Philip, don't choke me. I know you don't like much uh, <laughs> analytics. But... I'm not smart enough to like analytics. <laughs> the, these are incredible numbers, Philip. Listen to this. Their turnover percentage, as far as defense, is number one in the nation. 29.6% of opponents' possessions result in a turnover. That's incredible. They're number one in block percentage. They're blocking shots on 22.7% of possessions. Steal percentage, number two in the nation, 13.8% of possessions. Incredible numbers. And their adjusted efficiency on offense, number 10 in the nation, Adjusted efficiency on defense, number 17 in the nation. This team, as much as Bruce Pearl was harping in the preseason that they were not good defensively and they weren't there yet, this team is probably the best defensive team in the country right now as far as forcing turnovers and turning those into points. And as I said, they they face a crucial stretch here, UAB, NC State. But what are your impressions so far of this Auburn team, Phillip? Because – they're doing so good with their starting five right now. Austin Wiley, who's going to be an NBA draft pick, he's coming off the bench, and right. the coaches tell me that might continue throughout the entire season. I think that when they are when they are playing high energy and playing at their best, they are really. Uh, I, it's it's almost impossible to stop them. Uh, and uh, 
they got so many ways to beat you. I mean, they can beat you on the three. They can throw it inside. Uh, Macklemore is, is a really terrific player. He was last year and uh, kind of gets overlooked sometimes because he does so many things. And uh, I think the, uh, Samir Dowdy has obviously been a big addition, and they're going to get another big addition Saturday when uh, when Daniel Purifoy comes back. And uh, though I, I suspect that will take a little while to kind of work itself out. But the, the only thing I've seen – Particularly the last game, uh, they got out rebounded pretty bad. And it's, when they were, when they were, they had two spurts, one in the first half and one in the second half, when they were just unstoppable. And they got big leads and gave back a good bit of those leads both times. Not, not to the point you ever thought they were going to lose the game, but, but uh, I think when they get an SEC play, having watched Tennessee beat Gonzaga uh, Sunday, uh, it's go, it's they, they're going to need to be able to maintain that that high energy level for a little longer periods of time and certainly have to hold their own on on the board. But when, when Bryce Brown and, and Jared Harper, who's one of, I think one of the best, best point guards I've ever seen at Auburn, uh, when they're, when they're playing at their best, which they usually are, they, they make everybody around them better and, and uh, they make Auburn very hard to beat. When's the last time, Philip, you saw an Auburn team throwing up alley-oops and lobs as many times in a game as they do, they do it three to four times a game. Yeah, they got they got some really really good athletes. They they got they got all the pieces you need. And like you said, it's very telling that that an aircraft carrier like uh like Austin Wiley uh, doesn't play half the game sometimes. Uh, he's kind of like he's kind of like you know you want to talk football. He's kind of like the fresh defensive line coming in in the fourth quarter. They just kind of rotate him in, and he just wears everybody down. Um, and I, you've seen it against some of these smaller opponents, but also some of the bigger opponents too. They, they, he frustrates them offensively and defensively, and he does get in foul trouble from time to time. But just his presence in there really messes with the team when Anthony McLemore comes in and he comes in because all of a sudden you're playing a really athletic big man who can block your shot, and then you're playing a, like a load in there. As you said, he's like a, like a big – pillar of concrete that you have to try to get around and he's not easy to get around because he runs the floor very well too so they've got all the pieces and as you said Dangel Purifoy coming back I think their one concern with him is defensively that was his issue as a freshman playing defense but boy can he score and they they were saying uh, the other day at the assistant coach media day they are not worried about his offense he's going to score points he's going to give them a third option and shooting the three ball also driving the ball to the hoop and creating his own shot. But his big thing is going to be his lateral quickness and playing defense because if he doesn't play great defense, they will rip him off the floor. That's yeah. what this team's all about. you got to play great defense to get out, get out there because their defense, that leads to their big offense and these big numbers they've been putting up. I agree. And listen, I don't know if they'll win the SEC again or not, but like I said, Tennessee is really good. But – they they are they're going to be there at the end and they're going to be they're going to have a nice seat in the NCAA tournament. It it's going to be a fun. It's going to be another. It's amazing, really, when you look at the, the at the absolute total wreck that Bruce Pearl inherited, and uh, to see this team right now, which I, you know I've seen some team, Auburn teams that had great players, Charles Barkley and Chuck Person and Chris Morris and Gerald White and Frank Ford. I, I, and those eight, those Sonny Smith teams, NCAA tournament teams in the '80s, had a lot of great players. But I'm not sure I've seen a team as athletic as this one from top to bottom. 
they're they're just so much fun to watch. Watching them run the floor, and when Purifoy gets out there, watching him run alongside Jared Harper and Bryce Brown, that is going to be something special. Because I remember watching a couple years ago, there was one game I can't remember what it was, but Purifoy was just on fire, and they're running the court, and I was sitting there going, "Oh my gosh, this team's going to be something." And then, uh, of course, he had to sit out last year. It's going to be fun to watch. Auburn has four non-conference games remaining before they open SEC play, believe it or not. They play UAB at Legacy Arena in Birmingham Saturday. Tickets are still available, I'm told. And then they go on the road to North Carolina State, where North Carolina State might actually be favored. North Carolina State's a pretty good team this year. They're ranked 27th, according to Ken Palm. And then they host Murray State. Murray State's a team that likes to run a little bit, so... Next three games are going to test them a little bit. And Auburn has struggled. To, uh, I don't know if UAB plays it or North Carolina State or Murray State, but Auburn has struggled against zone defenses here of late, especially the 1-3-1. Yep. And uh, they got to get that figured out because a lot more teams are going to throw the zone at them. And uh, they did pretty well against it in Maui. But here in these last few games, teams are running more of that zone against them, and they're, they're, they've been pretty stagnant at times. As you mentioned, that's how Dayton got back in that game a couple of times, even though Auburn didn't seem like they were in very much danger. So something to watch here in the future. Um, Ronnie, uh, real quick, what's going on on the national landscape with coaching, the coaching industry, coaching searches, obviously Kansas state just got filled with, I thought was a good hire. Maybe I'm the only one. I think he's actually the hire of the year in the off season among everything. Uh, is temple still open? What's going on? What's and going also on? assistant coaches moving around. What's going on in the business right now? Uh, yeah, there's, you know, there's not much going on right now, to be honest with you. It's, it's, it's pretty calm because you got the signing, the early signing period coming up. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of shake loose after that. Uh, obviously, Temple's still open. Um, George Tech's trying to put a staff together. Hugh Freeze is trying to put a staff together at Liberty. Um, a lot of these other guys that came from other places are, are, are bringing their staffs with them. So, um, I agree with you about Kansas State's hire. I think that's a really good hire for them. Uh, he's got a background there, so he understands the place. Um, so uh, a lot of movement, but uh, a lot of it's on hold right now until after. You know, unfortunately, that's kind of the way the business works, much to Philip's chagrin. What do you make it? Yeah. What what do you make of the Ole Miss offensive coordinator getting hired at uh, North Carolina? I mean, uh, Mac Brown. I never thought I'd say this. Mac Brown's going air raid. Yeah, uh, apparently he talked to um, he interviewed Graham Harrell at North Texas, who turned him down, and uh, he had talked to Lincoln. He had talked to Lincoln Riley, and and really wanted to to uh, uh, to, to try to run that type of offense. Uh, and uh, he Graham Harrell was recommended. And he kept looking around, and uh, Ole Miss's offensive coordinator was he and Matt Luke were not getting along, and so uh, I think it was it was much it was time for him to move on down the road, and so. UNC is a pretty good landing spot for him. Definitely. Be interesting to watch after the early signing period ends. It starts December 19th. Guys, that's going to do it for the Auburn Undercover Roundtable. A lot of topics discussed here today. I hope you guys got uh, some good information out of it and uh, some good mm-hmm. entertainment. Uh, basketball is really the, the news coming up into this week. Auburn football practices should start Thursday. We don't know about media availability or anything like that yet but we'll pass that along as soon as we get it at auburnundercover.com. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you down the road. This was the theme to Gary Shandling's show.